Lords, ladies, and children of Battlehawk Nation. On the twelfth day of the month, the culmination of a long journey erupted in fruitful reward. Reward in the form of our warriors rising to protect our land and sweet victory. It was a reunion of epic celebration commenced by the spoils of riches. Our legion rose to the challenge and displayed to all opposing forces the risk they accept when intruding onto our land. We have all relished in the flavor of victory in our own way. But now we must look ahead, for an ominous band of defenders is trudging across the plains, and they are headed our way. They are a force that has yet to feel the agony of defeat. But they have also never set foot on our field of battle. For our masses are hungry for revenge, and we will show these defenders that our legion will never say die. We shall conquer our rivals and show we are the supreme kingdom in this region. So prepare yourself, for our flock must be stronger than ever, as we shall drown out the battle cries of our enemy and submit upon them a battering of one they will not forget. I bid thee farewell. Welcome to your fifth episode of the XFL Insider Podcast. This is your host, Matthew. Got Drew and Jake with me today, as well as a special guest, Tommy Jones. Tommy comes from Ambush. He's going to talk a little bit of Seattle and um, tell us some of his opinions. We have a a full show today, but we're definitely going to try to knock it down from a two-hour time span. Last week, we knocked out. It was about an hour and a half, so we're going to try to do a little less than that this week. Um, guys, before we start, want to introduce yourself. Yes, sir. Drew Wells. Yours true. LSU repping on the pod. Always number one in your hearts and minds. Hey, I'm Tommy. I come from Ambush Sports. Um, I guess you can say a lifelong, uh, Dragons fan, but, you know, they started in 2020, but I got to experience my first Dragons game in 2020 before the league closed. And when we found out it was coming back, me and my buddies, we secured our season uh, tickets and been to every game so far. And looking forward to the Houston-Seattle game and looking forward to talking about that. What's up, guys? Jake, um, Ambush Associate Editor. Uh, MOS, uh, a, a departmental editor, all St. Louis, um, sports-related editor, uh, whatever you need covered, I'm usually the one doing it. Um, glad to be here as usual, especially after my week off last week. Yeah, I bet you're a lot happier this week after that Battlehawks win at home, especially with the fan numbers. Oh, hell yeah, and there's no two-minute football involved. <laughs> yeah, that was a good win. McCarron came through for his team once again. I'm just yep. happy I'm here uh, this week and not two weeks ago to uh, talk to Jake because I don't know if uh, we could keep that conversation civil. 
Not after, not after the, uh, not after the streaming incident. <laughs> yeah, two weeks in a row that was too much for me, and I'm just happy they pulled it out week three because I don't know what I would have done if we took it to the poop standards. <laughs> I think you got a solid team, Tommy. There's nothing to worry <laughs> about. All right, guys, let's get started with some news. We're going to roll through the news, then we're going to go through last week's game summaries, and we're going to preview this week's game summaries. Following that, we're going to hit up the power rankings with Drew, and then we're going to talk about the AmbushSports.net Players of the Week. That'll be the whole show. Just want to give you a quick overview. Let's jump into the news right now. All right, so first up on the list, we had a death in the XFL family. I just wanted to note this. I thought it was important that we just pay our respects. Ben Siegfried. He was an athletic trainer for the Battlehawks and as well as D.C. He was a 23-year-old young man, um, had a lot of life left to live. He passed away on March 9th. Um, just want to pay our respects and wish the team and his family uh, a well-being and hope that everything's okay. Sorry to hear that happened. Uh, it's always unfortunate with a life so young is lost when there's a lot of life left to live. All right, guys, next up, let's talk about the ESPN rescheduled dates. Now, um, I'm sure we all got some stuff to say, so uh, please, after I get done, let, let me hear it. ESPN has rescheduled some days of games. Now, we knew this would happen, but uh, some degree, this is going to rub a lot of fans wrong. Uh, we had people scheduled for travel. You had people scheduled hotel rooms. You had people taking off work for games, and now we are doing some rearranging. From the way it looks, this won't be the only rearranging that will take place. Um, right now, the Week 5 Sunday game of Arlington Renegades versus San Antonio Brahmas. It was scheduled for 10 p.m. Eastern. It will now take place at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. That's the only schedule this week that will take place. The only change that we have to worry about. There'll be more down the line, and we'll talk about them soon. But for right now, I just want to discuss that one. And if the guys wanted to discuss the others, we can do that. Guys, you got anything on these dates? Uh, you also forgot that this Thursday is a change from... Uh, it was supposed to be a kickoff at 6, well, 6 p.m., Pacific Standard Time. Now it's going to be 7.30 and it was going to be on FX, but now it's going to be on ESPN. And like, I understand that they're changing the network because ESPN has like a broader audience, but I don't know if it's worth it with that big of a time adjustment because that's a 10.30 kickoff time for Eastern Time, if I'm correct. And I don't know if anybody wants to stay up at 10.30 to watch football when they got to go to work the next day. I think that's a pretty fair take. Uh, most, of the, most of the schedule changes seem to be for the better, honestly. Uh, they at least reflect a healthy F- XFL. Uh, I think one thing that we're going to have to keep in mind, just as XFL fans moving forward, is that this isn't likely to change in the future. We're in a very congested time frame of multiple sports either coming online or getting to the end of their seasons like we're, we're starting to get into march madness now nascar just started recently which hasn't really been a competitor truly in terms of sports viewership for the xfl but 
you've got MLS soccer getting into the swing of the season. You've got a multitude. You've got the NHL. You've got a multitude of things going on, and you have to navigate those things in a very collected and calm manner, but still keeping an eye out for for things that are coming down the road. To me, this reflects that there's a lot of a lot of good viewership numbers. A lot of these changes are taking place and moving to the bigger networks, ESPN, ESPN2. That, honestly, I think it's just a, a good reflection of health of the league, but also a reflection of just the time of year that this league's being played in and the things that it's going to have to contend with in the future. In the future, it may draw a whole bunch of viewers, you know, once once the product's more established. But for now, you definitely have to kind of navigate the, the viewership minefield, so to speak. And I think there's something to consider, not particularly for this week, but uh, the uh, upcoming changes in week seven. You know, week seven is going to follow on, and not to go into another sport, but it coincides with WrestleMania weekend. And I know that's a premium live event where you have to subscribe to an outside service. But it does make you wonder, with that going on, what could, uh, you know, how would that exactly impact the XFL viewing audience? Because there's kind of a little bit of a correlation of fans of the WWE or any kind of wrestling in general, because it's not just WWE that has shows going on that weekend. And then, you know, those that are within the XFL, you know, there's a lot of correlation in there that people don't realize. And I'm not sure how bad it could potentially impact that viewership that weekend. But, you know, it would be interesting to see how that unfolds when we actually view the aftermath at once uh, that weekend is over. with. Personally, I first see the numbers being a little lower. Uh, with March Madness, with all the pay-per-view events coming up. We all knew this was going to happen come March. The real fans did, at least. The moves they're making should help them with the TV numbers, though. Now, if we stayed on FX, that was probably a bad deal, in my opinion. But this looks much better in terms of long-term fan viewership. This may also... Sorry, go ahead, Matthew. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, I mean, is that... Do you think this is going to affect the TV numbers personally? Do you guys feel like next week we're going to be looking at a drop, significant drop? I think I don't know about a, a significant drop. A lot of people don't do pay-per-views anymore. They just stream them off the Internet, which may mean that they have other things going on in the background. They might put on the XFL for background noise or just in case the stream goes off or whatever that may have you. But generally speaking, I think this may also reflect a little bit of why the schedule looks the way it does for some teams. Uh, so if you look at St. Louis, St. Louis didn't have a, a home game for the first three weeks. And now that all these now that all these different sports are starting up and you're or you're getting into March Madness and WrestleMania is coming around, blah, 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 all these different things. Now you start to have more home games for the largest fan base in the XFL. And similar for San Antonio, San Antonio is pretty well balanced. So I think attendance is going to try be used to try and offset some of the bad viewership numbers so that the XFL can kind of charge into the future a little bit. If we really want to see if WrestleMania is going to affect the viewership, it will be interesting to see 
bit difference between the viewership and the Friday, March 21st game against the Seattle Sea Dragons and the Renegades versus the Saturday to Sunday games. Because uh, the Seattle game would be 7 p.m. Eastern time on a Friday, and that's the only Friday game of the season, which I think that could be a prime opportunity to do like a party out atmosphere. And then also just just, uh, put them head-to-head, back-to-back, see how they stack up against each other. Then we can definitely see if there's like a big wrestling audience if in the XFL and if it's going to affect the numbers going forward. Because if it does, next year we can probably see them walk around the WrestleMania season. Great points, fellas. Great takes and they're real and it's stuff that we're going to be looking at. So thank you. And I'm sure we'll be discussing this some more next week on the show. All right, we're going to move forward from the news today. As I said, we're trying to lower the amount of minutes on the show. So that's it for the news. We're going to go ahead and roll into the game summaries. In the game summaries, we're just going to talk about last week's games. When we come into the game previews, we're really going to try to cover more of the injuries and transactions that may have happened throughout the week before we get on. All right, fellas. So let's roll into game summaries. Our first game, let's talk about the Houston Roughnecks defeating the Orlando Guardians 44-16. to That was in Orlando. Uh, I think we all expected this one. Not really much surprises. Uh, Drew, start with you. Yeah, not, a, not really a whole lot of surprises. I think my prediction was like 38-12 to 12 or something like that. I really should have gave both teams a little bit more latitude, apparently. But... Uh, it turned out pretty much exactly how we thought it would. It was it was a blowout early. Houston started playing conservatively, had a blown coverage that made the game you know, somewhat close. It was still a two-possession game at 20, uh, 26-16 to after uh, Orlando hit an 81-yard bomb in the third quarter. And, but from there, I mean, Houston just took over. It was, it was really ugly. I mean, Wade Phillips was on the sideline saying, hey, do you want to go for three? We might as well try it. Like, you know, I mean, anytime you have a a score that's so uh, that's so lopsided that one coach looks like a national treasure on the sideline because he's out of ideas for the game. Generally, a pretty good week for that team and a bad week for the other one. So. And we saw the double forward pass. That was a nice addition to the game. Yes. John Trey Kirkland showing off his quarterback skills just like he did in high school, just like he did in college. It almost looked like a middle school uh, game where the team took off and started killing them, and then they put their seconds in. Um, (laughs) Orlando actually started coming back a bit there (laughs) until we started playing football again and then ran away with it. Right. And Travell Harris had a really good game. He had a couple touchdowns, really kind of broke out. I mean, honestly – just about every receiver in Houston's receiving core has broken out at some point or another this this season so far. I think the only one that hasn't had a true breakout game is Cedric Bird. Orlando looked more competent this game. They didn't seem like they were just absolutely confused as to what was going on and why they were all gathered in the same place. You know, they seemed like they had a goal. They were making you know pretty decent plays at times. 
it's just Houston's that much better of a team. Uh, there's not a whole lot of arguing that at this point. Looking at this, the ratings that from watching, it was one of the lowest watched games of the week. Also, I was a little offended in that. Hopefully, us as Houston fans can step our game up. Yeah, Houston's kind of a conundrum this year with fan support. Like they're they're right at about sixty percent of what their normal attendance was last time around. And I know we've, you know, they've had different excuses. The rodeo was was one of them during uh, the week that they played the Brahmas. There's a whole bunch of excuses, but moving forward, you've got to think at some point in time, Houston's going to come out and support a winning team. Yes, sir. Hopefully that Battlehawks game will see the fans out and about. All right. Next up, let's roll into the Seattle Sea Dragons against the San Antonio Brahmas. Seattle pulled it off 15-6. to six. Tommy, you got anything you want to share on that? Uh, I... I have a lot to show, but I'll try to uh, give you the simplified notes. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, my brother, I go to the games with my brother, my friend, and, like, they're just, they want to watch a good game of football. They want to have fun. I want it to be logical. I want it to make sense, and I want them to win the game. So the first drive when they were down in the end zone, fourth and run, Everybody was cheering to go for it. I wanted them to kick a three. And then later down, I think it was third quarter, maybe. No, it was towards the second quarter, I believe. I could be mistaken. I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot, though. And uh, they were leading, and they were up a few points. I think a touchdown. Yeah, they were up by nine points because they could come back with a touchdown and a three-point conversion, and I thought they would, because instead of running the ball when you're up in the fourth quarter, you throw an interception. And uh, That was painful to watch. Painful. And previous plays before that, instead of running out the clock, uh, they called timeout, and I was begging them to save at least one timeout, and then it came to... uh, by us in the backside when they threw the interception. We caught the interception, actually, but there was a flag on the play, and it got called back, and everybody knows there was no flag on the play. I think it was offensive pass interference. And we could have challenged that because it was, I think, a few minutes left. It was above the two-minute mark. And we could have challenged that. We could have got the ball back. We could have... Well, hopefully we could have gotten the ball to Ellison and have him run it up the field, but with Hazlitt calling the game, he probably would have thrown it a deep ball down to Gordon in hopes of a touchdown. And then, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff. The three-point conversions, they got to stop. If something doesn't work over and over again, you just look like an honestly like an idiot for trying again. You know, like, we probably... We've won, or we lost the first two games by a total of six points. You know, that's two threes that we missed. And that's just the truth. But our defense, they had the grade one defense, terrible pass defense. The wide receivers, they could have took, probably took a nap in between all of our defenders and still catch the ball. There was actually one play where the defender caught the 
or the receiver caught the ball, he fell down, our defender walked away so he could get back up and run down the field with it. We're going to have a really great team once we figure stuff out, but right now we're just playing like we're playing and we don't want to win. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you look at all of our stats and we should be a winning team, but we're just breaking even now. That's my thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're you're totally right in, in most of those takes, I think. So June Jones has always been a hyper-aggressive play caller. Uh, I mean, ever since he broke onto the scene. It's gun, wide open, always throwing the ball. You know, and and to do to have an offense like that to make those play calls work, you've got to have a wide receiver group as a as a whole that is on the same page with the quarterback. Right now, Danucci only really has Pearson and and Gordon on the same page with him, and that's causing problems because now people are keying on Pearson and Gordon because they know those two are getting the ball and nobody else can step up. Right, so that's part of why Ellison is so important. It's because they're trying to run the ball. They're trying to open up some of these other receivers. But in that style of offense, you have to have more than just two wide receivers and a running back. You've got to have everybody on the same page. And between offensive line problems earlier in the year and now the wide receivers don't seem to be on the same page with Danucci. And then you pair that with Danucci just having epic brain farts at times and just throwing it directly to the other team. It just kind of it, it makes it look disjointed. And but that's why I say if if they ever clean all of that stuff up on on offense, I've said it every single week we've done the podcast. If Seattle ever gets a clue and figures out that offense, it's over for the rest of the league because that offense is is nearly unstoppable when you have everybody clicking. Uh, As far as the extra point conversions you were talking about, Tommy going for three, that's very much a June Jones thing, but he needs to understand and good grief, that, that sounded really pretentious considering who I am and who he is. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but he needs to understand that if if the threes are not working, if your offense can't figure it out, you've got to scheme and go for something less. You, like you possibly have to consider going outside of your normal scheme to force yourself into some points there. Because you're right now, you're taking points off the board. Like you said, combined six points in the in the losses – and that's just a couple of extra points that they've been trying to go after. Whereas with all the touchdowns that they've scored, if they just went for two or one, you know, maybe you make up that gap. In uh, two weeks ago in the Battlehawks game, when the Dragons got the uh, final touchdown, they went for a three-point conversion and they missed it. But have they gone for a two-point conversion and made it, we would have seen the Battlehawks kick a uh, field goal to tie the game, and we would have seen the first ever overtime in XFL history. But right, that could have been, you know. Yep, um, the hindsight's always twenty twenty. That's probably the most cliche thing that everyone says, but it's factual. And if they're doing some proper self scouting, they'll they'll have some kind of adjustment. Whether or not that's to move away from three point attempts is is. You know, not for me to decide, but I would think as a coach, you probably want to reevaluate yourself with such a low, a low conversion percentage. Yeah, Seattle ranks tops in all offensive categories right now, passing, receiving, rushing. So I agree with what both you guys are saying. Um, just got to clean it up. 
they're the most fun to watch, in my opinion, when they're playing good. Yep. I have a good time watching that team, whether it's against the Vipers or the Battlehawks. Either game was entertaining. Ellison is going to be a star. I wouldn't expect him to be in the XFL next year if he keeps playing how he is and doesn't receive any injuries going forward. Right. Anything else before we move on, fellas? All righty. Let's talk about the St. Louis Battlehawks. They rolled past Arlington Renegades 24-11 to in the Battle Dome. We saw a high, high amount of people there, and I'm sure Jake's ready to fill us in. Jake, what do you think about that game? Yeah, matter of fact, the um, official attendance for uh, that game was 38,310. And from, at least to my recollection, those 310 extra tickets that were sold, because they were originally supposed to be capped out at 38,000. The extra 310 seats were actually sold at game day at the Battle Dome uh, box office. In comparison, and... Uh, Thanks to uh, the XFL board for having this information available. Clearly blocks out the best attendance uh, for the Battle Hawks back in 2020, where the, the highest attendance at the time was their week three matchup at home against the former New York Guardians, which had an attendance of 29,554. Uh, I b- believe, based on information I'd received before the show, they couldn't sell any more seats on the basis that they couldn't find enough staffing there, which is a good problem to have, but it's also something that they need to get figured out by next week and then the final three weeks of the season, which all three of those games will be at home. You could hear those fans on TV. Uh, Before we get into the game, I will say I was impressed. Being a New Orleans Saints fan, I'm used to a dome, and and that place was rocking on TV. So I'm happy to see it next week, and hopefully they'll show us out some more. It looked beautiful on TV. It really looked good on TV. It was, If I'm not mistaken, it was the most viewed game. It was either that game or the DC and Vegas game was the most viewed game over the weekend. But... The best optics by far was the Battle Hawks game. I mean, just every camera camera shot full of fans. The fans going crazy, throwing things, holding things up. It, it was it was really impressive to see, and it shows the potential that the XFL has as a whole if people get behind it and show up and and cheer them on. You know, so I mean, as far as the game itself, St. Louis really controlled the whole game. The score is not indicative of of the tail kicking that took place arlington is still looking for the masked man named offense they have no no idea who that guy is but if i mean if they ever find him they might be good but their defense can't continue to to be on the field the whole game so uh 24 to 11 probably should have been more than that but you know it it was a good game it was a lot of fun to watch Uh, but the battle hawks just are are that much better than arlington and really most other teams in the league and something also to consider, um, you know, prior to this game, it had been a little bit over 1,100 days since the Battlehawks had last played inside the Dome. Uh, so it, that was an interesting t- statistic that I heard uh, on the radio broadcast going into the game uh, on that. Um, it Just from an analysis uh it did seem like a defensive battle in the first half. Um, you know, first 
the first half was kind of left to uh, field goals from uh, uh, Donnie Hagman and uh, Taylor Russellino, a former Battle Hawk, need I say. But it's just like somehow, for some reason, in the uh, second half, just things just started kicking forward. You know, the 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 late pass in the uh, the the second quarter uh, by McCarron to Darius Shepard, and then uh, making a successful two point conversion to Brian Hill. Whatever difficulties that may have been looming on the Renegades uh, offense didn't really change in the second half. Because, you know, after McCarron uh, connected with a, with a Hill with a 15-yarder for another touchdown, Renegades were down 17-3. And, that, you know, even in that second half, they only attempted one successful scoring drive via rush from Devion Smith and then uh, a two-point division on their end uh, with Smith passing to Sal Canella. But outside of that, that's all Arlington did. And then McCarron pretty much uh, put the proverbial nail in the coffin by connecting that 25-yarder to Hakeem Butler and then turn around and get a one-point conversion to Jake Sutherland which ultimately led to uh, what the final score of 24 to 11. I just wanted to add something on the attendance real fast. An interesting stat that I also saw was St. Louis's attendance this week was so high with 38,310 that it made the weekly average for attendance for games over the like uh, highest attendance second place. So Seattle had an attendance of 15,103. That was the second highest attendant game of the week. And the weekly average attendance is still 18,737. And I just thought that was pretty nutty that a team can draw that much more of a crowd than anybody else that they offset the average by that much. Oh, it'd be crazy to see what we end up getting. And, uh, our week five matchup, especially considering, and we'll discuss it later, the rematch against DC. I mean, it's, it's going to be a great matchup. You know, the people are going to show up. Uh, I know there were people uh, that were making all kinds of chants, but I think the one that I caught a lot of, I mean, not overwhelming, but you could hear it. There Let's were people. It. There were people that were saying Cronky sucks. <laughs> I Kronky knew it. Sucks. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and or you know or uh, or and obviously if the if the it would have made it over there you know I think there might have been some people chanting Cronky. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Go ahead. They were Go chanting uh, F U Snyder. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, good. I did hear that too. I know when I went in 2020, eh, it it was eventful. It was always good fun though. There wasn't anything too toxic or bad. Um, some f bombs and such are expected, but yeah, that's healthy. I don't remember any or, bottles being thrown on the field or lemons. So yeah, I was about to say no lemons. Keep it classy, DC. Quality fans in St. Louis for the most part. They're there for their game, and that's what they care about. You know what? That's what I love about DC's fan base, Tommy. It's like they're high-class white trash. They'll still do some trashy things, but it looks cool from the outside. 
Yeah, they did it to Seattle, so they can just go ahead and stop. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let's talk about the DC Salt. Defenders. They they had a fight with the Vegas Vipers this week at home. They won 32-18. to 18. DC looked pretty good on the ground between Jordan and King. I like them both. Guys, you got anything to share on this battle? If there is not a meeting to address the rule for what happened to uh, or what took place directly before halftime in this game during the offseason, I may explode. There is no reason to run a 10 second runoff when the league stops the game. If the Vipers tried to take a timeout and they didn't have one, sure, run the clock. But for it to be a 10 second runoff and then they turn around and give the explanation, oh, well, with a 10 second run, or if it's less than 10 seconds, they're not going to have time to uh, to line up and snap the ball. So we just take those seconds away anyway. That makes no sense. First off, if there's if there's a area of the field where an offense is more likely to get their players back to the line of scrimmage and set up to spike a ball within five or 10 seconds, it's at the one freaking yard line you literally can't get any more condensed on football field everyone's literally right there so i have a very big problem with with teams with offenses being punished for something that the league does that makes zero sense to me Uh, and for those of you that say oh well why dc would be punished if the vipers got the got to run another play no they wouldn't dc's the ones that let them down there to begin with maybe stop them next next time a little bit higher up the field no, no, I, I'll get off my soapbox now on that, but I wanted to mention that for sure on this podcast because that had me absolutely infuriated on Sunday. Uh, for the game itself, if, if Vegas scores that touchdown going into halftime and potentially ties it up going into halftime, I think you have an outcome of a game that's way different because they were they were really building up some momentum there. Uh, but that that call, I think, really just took the air out of their sails, and they they kind of faded immediately in the second half. It seemed like it just seems like Vegas is st- setting the standard of crapping themselves standing up. <laughs> it was coming. Uh, it, 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 yes, yes, it was coming. So I mean, I don't. They, we didn't say they, it one time last week. <laughs> that statement wasn't used, I don't believe. Go ahead, Jake. I'm sorry. We got uh, two for two right now. You know, it's just, it's just like Orlando. They're just literally crapping themselves standing up. Yes, they are improving, but it's not probably not to the standard that it needs to be. It's like, do they even want to win any games this season? I mean, we know that those two teams are going to be facing off next week. We'll get to that point but later. You just got to do something. If if, if the, your current players aren't doing it for you, then maybe you need to look into other people that may be in the free agent pool to, you know, finagle some things and uh, get uh, the players you actually need to actually get the stuff done. Otherwise, you're just going to end up at the bottom of the table every single time. So can we can we call the this meeting between the Vipers and Guardians coming up the toilet bowl? I was gonna say that that was <laughs> my uh, loser bowl in my fancy football is called, and we have a uh, golden toilet seat medal that we give to the winner. <laughs> so yes. if Seven can get a uh, golden toilet bowl down to Las Vegas by the game, then that would be much appreciated. 
<laughs> right. I hear the bathrooms are nice and clean, so that would work perfect for their bathroom <laughs> situation. Just someone has to get some gold spray paint in the, the halfway there. Now, Tommy, Tommy said before the show he'd cover shipping. Now, speaking of gameplay, I think Hunley is going to do pretty good for Vegas. I don't think he was 100% from his previous injury last week or the week prior. Um, his hamstring wasn't right. Uh, I think he's going to be a key part of their wins if they do receive any. They play good football also. They've just been blessed with some bad hands, in my opinion. Um, I know a lot of the players there aren't up to par, but conflict and controversy have really hurt the team more than anything, in my opinion. Well, I think... I don't know, man. Luis Perez has has really good flashes. I mean, he looks he looks cream of the crop sometimes, but other times he throws it behind a guy like by five or ten yards, and you're like, "What the hell just happened?" Like he wasn't even under duress. He just has these misfires. I don't know if his brain short circuits and his arm short arms it, or I don't know what's happening. But Hundley, I think, is clearly the better quarterback. I don't buy that this was that his subbing off to bring Perez back in was a performance thing. I think it was an injury thing. I think he's they're making sure that he stays healthy for later in the year so that he can, you know, be healthy and help the team. I think it the seems... You can go ahead, Tommy. Uh, it seems like Perez is the kind of quarterback who just always plays better when he's coming in for somebody after they get hurt. He isn't like he does good when he's starting some but sometimes but he always just plays a little bit better when he's like coming in for somebody else finishing off a game but he he's not a good starter no doubt you saw when hunley came out i don't remember when or what play but it was probably first quarter um they took hunley out and put perez in and immediately i think there was a 20-yard pass thrown across the field just dimed it so i can see that for sure yeah, I really like Vic Beasley, too, being a uh, Falcons fan. So I thought with their uh, quarterback class down in Vegas and some of their defensive players, I thought they would have been a real competitor this year. But I'm just surprised Woodson hasn't blown a fan yet this year because I'm pretty sure he's close. I'm surprised he hasn't like challenged one of the referees to a fist fight yet. <laughs> Before half, I thought he was going to leave the game and go find Dean Blandino and kick his ass. <laughs> he was hot. No doubt. There were there were shots of him on the sideline just chewing out everybody that he could find that was wearing stripes. Well, the was- refs went inside with him. They were walking in. They walked in the tunnel with him. I know even as a high school coach at one point, that there should have been a little separation there. I mean, that, that was a little much. Yeah, Woodson showed he isn't just mean on the field. He's all, he's mean off of it, too. Next week, it's going to be fun doing the toilet bowl to see uh, <laughs> who gets more mad if Woodson blames the ref more or if Orlando blames the players more. <laughs> should be some epic hot mic moments. We should have some good stuff next week. It'll be fantastic. Not all putting right. the mics on those guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys that was our last week's game summaries uh, now we're going to move on to game previews for next week
if any of the scheduling dates or anything I say is wrong, fellas, please correct me. We've had a few changes, as we've said, so I just want to make sure I have it right for the fans at home. All right, guys. Our first game preview is the Houston Roughnecks at Seattle Sea Dragons. That game is Thursday, March 16th. It's at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, and it's on ESPN. All right. So, guys, what do we think about this? I know we've got a, a stellar team in the Seattle Sea Dragons. Do we actually see them have a chance to beat the Houston Roughnecks, who are still undefeated? Tommy, you want to take this one first? I suppose I will. <laughs> uh, I can see it either being... 18 to uh, uh, maybe 20 to 16 is the final score, or it could be setting like 48 to 42 by the time that it's all said and done. It depends on if both offenses show up that day and how what defense we get. Because, like I said last game, we had a really strong run defense, terrible pass defense. And honestly, I don't think Houston has much of a run game. All I see is them passing it most of the time. So if we can just tighten up our pass defense and not bring a blanket and a pillow for uh, Houston's receivers to go sleep in our end zone, I think we'll be good. But it all depends on the defense really depends on Hazlitt, and hopefully Danucci and Pearson can stop eating popcorn on the sideline and hold on to a ball for lunch. <laughs> I can definitely see where you're coming from. A lot of people think it might be a shootout. Uh, I'm kind of on the other side. I think this is either going to be a blowout or very close. I think that's from my view, that's only two things that can happen. So, uh, you know, Tommy, you're definitely right as far as Houston passing the ball a lot. That That is their primary mode of, of transportation, if you will, on the field. Uh, but they pass to open up the run, and they do so effectively. Uh, they're third in the league. They're only 22 yards uh, total behind Seattle for second in rushing. As far as yardage goes, and then they're second in rushing touchdowns in the league with five. Uh, Houston and Seattle really both thrive on the big play. Uh, they both, I mean, Seattle's got a lot more big. I say a lot more. They've got th- three more big plays rushing than than Houston. And when I say big plays, I'm talking specifically more than ten yards. Uh, Seattle also, has, game. Ray, Seattle also has way more, like, they're way more dangerous passing on through the air than anybody uh, defend, uh, Houston has had to play this year. Because this year they've only played uh, two out of the top five quarterbacks right now. And the top two quarterbacks that they played are top five and four. And they only have 69 yards and 61 yards. Oh, no, pass completions, my bad. Their passing yards, they got... Jack Cohn has 625, and Lynch has 701. 
and they're facing a team who has over a thousand passing yards in just four games. So yeah, it's going to be a shock for defense, especially Houston. Uh, their offense, it's just going to be another game for them, I honestly believe, but their defense is definitely going to have a wake-up call this game. I could see that. I can see it working out kind of like that, but uh, to me, the separation between Houston and Seattle, because uh, no doubt, really, both teams have good offenses. I mean, Seattle's proven that they can score pretty much regardless of who they're playing against. They're going to be in that 20-point range-ish. Uh, Houston has the ability on defense to create turnovers, though. They're tied for the league lead in interceptions, uh, whereas Seattle only has one interception, right, Uh, in in terms of fumble recoveries. uh, Houston's kind of middle of the pack with four fumble recoveries right behind Vegas and D.C., who have five each. Seattle has no fumble recoveries. And they fumble it probably the most out of any team. Right. So, I mean, and with Danucci making kind of bonehead decisions like we touched on during the game recaps uh, for last week, uh, to me, I think it's just set up on a plate for Houston to to come in, sc- drop a 30-burger, maybe 40, and give up probably 24, 25 points uh, along the way and kind of you know walk out of Seattle with their heads held high because that's the best team that they've played yet before they really get into facing the two next best teams in the league in my view in DC and St. Louis in the upcoming weeks. So since Orlando versus Vegas is the toilet ball, can this be the homecoming ball since uh Silvers is coming back to Seattle and uh June Jones get to play Houston. I think that's probably a good name for it, the Homecoming Bowl. That's a, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how. So, so to me, that brings up two storylines. First off, how are the fans in Seattle going to remember Silvers? Are they going to give him a ration of crap, or are they going to, you know, be glad that he's there and then boo him while he's on the field just because he's the other team? I think and they then, might do gun him. <laughs> right, you know, which is to be expected. He he wasn't very good for Seattle the last time around. Granted, he didn't have much to work with. But uh, the other one is how Houston's defense fares against a Jim a June Jones offense. There's no Kool Aid here, so it's definitely not a Jim Jones offense. I don't know why I do that. Uh, so June Jones is basically the godfather of the offense that Houston runs with AJ Smith. And I don't know if you saw it last week, but after the game in Orlando, A.J. Smith uh, called out June Jones and basically told him, you know, I'm coming for you in a nice way. Like he wasn't being hostile or anything, but he basically said, June Jones, you're next. Right. Directly into the camera. Uh, So issued a challenge. So, you know, Seattle is going to come out and be ready to play. So how is Houston going to react to an offense that they basically saw the entire time that they were preparing because it's the offense that they run. One thing about Seattle fans too, and Silver, Silver, you saw how Seattle treated the last good quarterback they had after he wasn't with the team anymore. I'm just saying. Yeah, I think Silver's probably isn't as polarizing of a figure as Russell Wilson has turned out to be. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't as good, so... 
Yeah, he he wasn't as good, but he's definitely he's definitely got the I don't care attitude. Like Silver yeah. is probably one of the calmest, most laid back people I've ever seen in real life. Like you immediately when he walks in the room, you can tell he's just like. I don't care what happens here. <laughs> That's probably why Seattle will boo him, though, because Seattle fans are petty, and since they're doing good now, he's the yeah, he's gonna get destroyed. I feel like. I appreciate the takes, guys. That's this probably will be the best game of the week, in my opinion, with exception to the DC and Battlehawks game. Um, it looks like it's gonna be a good one, and it's Thursday. And we're gonna have to stay up late, so better be a good one. XFL after dark is what we're talking these days. Before we move on, do we want to talk anything else we want to mention about this game? XFL after dark, it's not for your grandparents. Or your <laughs> kids, that's for sure. All right, next up, let's discuss the D.C. Defenders taking on the St. Louis Battlehawks in the Battle Dome. That game is Saturday, March 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Central. It'll be on FX. Jake, I know you want to start this off. What you got, buddy? You know that there's some bad blood still brewing from uh, week three, so uh, I think the fact that uh, the Battlehawks are at home for the, this uh, rematch, uh, it could completely change things, you know. Probably was an advantage when uh, the Battlehawks was in Audi Field. Uh, the uh, Roughnecks found that out the hard way this past weekend. So maybe when you've got, you know, 38, 40,000 people in the crowd and they're all majority Battlehawks fans. I mean, is it going to translate to where the Battlehawks pull it off and make that series for this year one and one? Or, you know, is uh, it going to be to the point where uh, Jordan Tamu, whoever ends up starting, uh, has uh, tricks in his bag to pull it off uh, against his former team? Uh Based on the stuff that I had seen in regards to uh, people potentially being out, I mean, they have about as many people on the, potentially on the sidelines as there was in week three while things continue to be improving on the Battlehawks and uh, where there's not very many people getting hurt. So I'm really thinking that this is... Uh, uh, going to be a let's say it's got to be a game for the ages and I really think that um, there are some tricks in AJ McCarron's book that will end up uh, with the support of the the, uh, uh, the crowd in attendance uh, to pull it off and potentially I can potentially see them winning by two scores against uh, DC Ooh, that that would be one heck of a flip, man. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong; I definitely hope it happens, just because I like I'm a fan of parody. But <laughs> if if this game starts off anything like it did the last time, and DC jumps out to a couple of scores, the Battlehawks aren't 
everybody talked about. Uh, so what I'm fixing to say is going to get me roasted, I'm sure. But the Battlehawks are not built for, like, big comebacks. They're not against a team that actually has a defense. I think they proved that the last time that they were out, you know, against D.C. They proved that they could stay in the game. But I think D.C.'s defense and the way that they were running things really had a, a little bit of a say in that. The The idea that, the idea that you're going to flip it around and win by two scores... You have, like, that's, I just don't see it happening, honestly. But I'm never going to say never to somebody who's led by a NFL caliber quarterback with two borderline NFL caliber uh, receivers in Prohl and uh, Butler. So, yeah, two wide receivers or, or wide receiver and a tight end, however you want to refer to Butler. You know, they, to me, they should be a little bit more productive than what they are on offense. But... I don't think really either of these teams is built to win by a couple of scores over the other one. I think they're really close in terms of how good they are. And I could very, I could easily see the St. Louis Battlehawks winning. I don't see them running away with it, though, unless there's just some sort of crazy meltdown on the D.C. side. Okay, so do you see it anywhere? Like if it doesn't end up being two scores, do you see it potentially ending up like uh, it ended with uh, Arlington? Um, well, I guess technically Arlington was two scores. Arlington's never met an offensive play that they like to run, though. So I think that's a little bit of a, a bad comparison. I could see it being, you know, with it, with regular scoring, I could see it being like a 24-21 game or something like that. And DC, you know, trying to come back and do the fourth and 15 thing. I can't see it being a two a two score separation. I can't I can't see really either team winning this specific game in St. Louis by anything more than than six or seven points. Of course, I've been wrong before, so there is that. Yeah, if the Battlehawks can shut down the run game for DC, I think that's attainable. DC doesn't have much of a passing game right now. Tamamu and King are really the the rushing leaders in that team, so I think it. it I don't know if I want to say by two scores, but definitely by eight is what I would say the Battlehawks could win this by. And, uh, you know, this was uh, funny when I was listening to the radio broadcast last week against against Arlington. uh, You know, there was some sideline audio from uh, quarterback Kyle Slaughter that says, uh, let's send these uh, fans home sad when the opposite was true. I would love to see a scenario where McCarran and the Battle Hawks put a good a battle on against their former quarterback. So, you know, you're, you're talking current quarterback versus 2020 quarterback. It, it's going to be something definitely to watch to see, okay, how has this guy done since 2020? And then this guy was in the NFL in 2020. How's that going to come up against each other? Uh, it's definitely going to be must-see TV, whether you like it or not. Yeah, you're totally right. And Tiamu's starting to figure things out a little bit. He's playing a little bit better over the past couple of games. Uh, Derek King, obviously they're using him in niche situations, and he's just, every time he shows up, he's, or every time he comes into the game, he shows up big time. Was responsible for three touchdowns last week. I mean, DC's finally figured out the two-quarterback system and how it works for them, and it looks good. 
but as, as Matthew said, he and he made a really good point saying this: the the run game being stopped for DC is what's going to derail that train. And St. Louis can do it, but they they're going to have to nearly overcommit to it, and that's going to leave them susceptible to big plays. So, as a defensive coordinator, you gamble on that every single time and twice on Sundays because you always like to pride yourself on being able to stop big plays regardless of what you're doing up front. It, it's going to be an interesting battle. It's definitely going to be a chess match. I think really whoever wins the turnover game is probably going to win the game. That's why I lean a little bit more towards D.C., but really I can see either team winning this game. Should be a good one. Hopefully the fans show out. Jake, do you have any recollection of numbers that we could be receiving? Like How many people are expected right now? Has anybody put that out? I believe early estimates say about 35, 36,000, but then you're no talking. This is Tuesday, and there's going to be a lot of tickets going out the door, uh, uh, whether it be Ticketmaster or given they've got a full week at the box office being open at the Dome. So it's, I'm really hoping that it's at least the level it was last week up to potentially 40, 41,000, assuming that they uh, get enough staff hired on uh, for the remainder of this season. That's that's a big one because we want to be able to have the final three weeks of the season be able to have upwards of 50,000 in the stands. And that just comes to uh, the ownership of the dome hiring enough people to make sure that that becomes a reality and so before we move on i want to touch on the betting lines here so for dc and st louis dc is a two-point favorite going into the battle dome with an over under for the game set at flat 42 i feel like i'm probably taking the i would take the under on this one i probably would not even try to go on either team for uh, for as far as covering the two-point spread. How do you guys feel about it? Yeah, I'm going to go with the under on this also. Uh, it, it may be, you may be hit the over, but it'll be close, in my yep. opinion. Real close. What about you, Tommy? I'm going to, uh, I don't know, it's tough, because it's, but you guys saying, like, with the whole two-score thing, I don't think it's going to be two-score thing. I think it's just going to be back and forth and it's when those games I don't even feel comfortable like wagering on because it was so close the first time and with you guys saying that it could be a two point or two score game both these teams beat Seattle by less than six points so I just don't know who's gonna take it I I don't feel comfortable I'm not a betting man like that unless I feel like I have a guarantee, so. Right, yeah, and that's a. I think that's a pretty well set up uh, spread there. The two points. Uh, Jake has said uh, no comment. He's he's probably not touching this. Uh, I'll let him say with what. But uh, if you watched previous episodes, you probably or if you listened to previous episodes, you probably understand what I'm talking about. Uh, mm. And since we moved from uh, Houston and Seattle. Uh, without without touching on the betting line, I'll just touch that one real quick. Uh, Houston is a three point favorite in Seattle with an over under, with a over under of forty one and a half. Yeah, I uh, you know 
I do give it to Houston, honestly, but I don't think it's going to be that much. Because I feel like there's a chance that in some realm that Seattle could take it. But I would just go with, uh, I'd just go with Houston all day, honestly. Talking about on the three-point spread? Yeah. Or, okay. Because there's a, like you saying, there's a chance, but but the three points, but makes the most sense to me because I don't see a complete blowout happening because uh, dragons haven't been blown out yet this year. Yeah, they haven't lost by more than four points in a single game. Oh, for sure. It's there's definitely potential for it to be, you know, a knockdown dragout. So like that. The three points but definitely does make sense when you're looking at all of the angles. Yeah, for sure. How you feel about it, Matt? I'm going to ride with my boys on this. I think they've got that spread covered. As well as the over. I feel like watching Seattle, I, I don't think they're going to keep up with us. That's just my opinion. Um, so I'm going to take the over as well with Roughnecks. Yeah, I'm, I feel the same way. No, there's been other games this year that I've kind of gotten the vibe that something freaky was going to happen. I don't necessarily get that vibe this week just because I think Houston's offense or Houston's defense rather is orders of magnitude better than than Seattle's. Yes, yes. And if Danucci's going to be throwing that ball like he did last week, you can bet you're going to have some pick six taking yeah, the house. Adrian Harris is probably about to have a field day if that happens. Uh, but I don't think I, I don't know. I Danucci's been getting better and better each week, but I just don't see, I don't think they're there yet in Seattle. But, uh, you know, I've been proven wrong before. I could be wrong again. Plus, this is Houston's first road game, so we don't know how they're going to adjust as far as, you know, their routines and, and how that looks. Plus, so it's, it's our second. Week we played it. We were at Orlando last week, so it would be our second. Oh, it is our second. That's right. But it is a short week of rest, and they're yes. going two, two time zones back. So. And the. the- Possibly could be the biggest crowd that uh, they've played in front of this season. Yep, yep by 4,000 or more. But Silvers should understand the noise that goes on at Lumen, but yep. he's never had to fight against it. He was always fighting with it, so it will right. definitely be interesting to see how the... What are we going to call the Dragon's 12th man? Yeah, for sure. Well, now that we've touched on that, I guess we can move on to the toilet bowl, huh? Let's move on to what has been dubbed as the toilet bowl. We have the Orlando Guardians at the Vegas Vipers. That game is Saturday, March 18th at 10 p.m. Eastern, and it's on FX. That one should roll right after the D.C. Defenders and the Battlehawks game. Um, as, as my, my friends here said, the toilet bowl. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, let me, let me get some hot takes on this, please. This is, I don't think the guardians stay close. I I don't know this game. I would not bet on this game in a million years. Like regardless of what the lines are and the over-unders, I would not bet on it in a million years because something wonky is definitely going to happen in this game. Neither of them have a win. Vegas has been showing up really good on on offense here recently, or on offense, I should say, here recently. Orlando seems like they may have k- taken a couple of steps, but that defense is absolutely terrible. 
to be honest, I'm other than Vegas winning, I'm not prone to make any kind of marks or game stuff. I think it's just going to be wacky. I feel better about betting on this game than I do about DC Defenders versus the Battle Hawks, honestly. Give me Vipers by 10 points. Uh, Orlando is just, you know, not to like curse on you, but it's that whole situation where they don't know whether to wind their ass or scratch their watch. They don't know what's <laughs> going on out there. <laughs> and when I watch Vegas, it looks like they at least understand what how the game of football is supposed to work. They almost they almost beat the Dragons. They should have had a much better showing last week, but that happened. And also, just on the topic of the total ball, I noticed that they're playing at Cashman Field, so I guess it really is <laughs> playing. They really are playing at the total ball also. Okay. Uh, yeah, give me Vegas by uh, 10, I think. Because if Vegas gets a two-point lead, I don't think Orlando is going to be able to cover. No, and and with with Vegas' defense being you know, average at, at minimum, uh, but nowhere close to great, I think they're going to be able to get more stops than Orlando uh, just overall. So that's, that's what I said. I, the only thing I would say is Vipers win. I don't know by how much. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I would not be um, – I'm not betting on this game. <laughs> so what was the spread on this one? So the spread is uh, Vegas. So Vegas is the home team. They're playing at Cashman. Uh, seven and a half point spread. Vipers are the favorites to win the toilet bowl with an over under of a flat forty two. Oh, I could, I could see both as plausible. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if those numbers are just coming out of the excrement that's still sitting around <laughs> Cashman. But I, I think uh, regardless of what happens, it's going to end up with a bigger mess as the toilet bowl continues to fill up with no <laughs> one even sticking around to clean it up. So it's going to get ugly. I can definitely see the, how the spread and uh, even the over-under would be pretty plausible in either direction on the over or under because I do think it's going to be ugly considering – you are talking about two standing pooper teams that just, I mean, they're gradually improving, but they still haven't won a single game. The toilet bowl here essentially ensures that someone's going to win while someone continues to languish in the toilet bowls of the XFL. I, I mean, I, I think based on anything that could potentially happen, being there's two teams involved here that are currently the worst in the XFL. Uh, I think it's definitely going to be an ugly situation, no matter how you bet on it. If there was a game where both teams could lose, it would probably be this one. (laughs) (laughs) That one got me. That was the best one of the week. This is our field you know, goal game of the week, hands down. I'm, I'm yeah. calling it now. Six field goals at least kick this game. And we're going to have four of those missed. 
<laughs> Does anybody know, Matt? Do you are you able to pull up what the weather's supposed to be like at Cashman on on Sunday or on I was Saturday? Just thinking that. Let's look at that real quick. They, Vegas has gotten really unlucky with their weather. Like yesterday or uh, not yesterday? This past Saturday. weekend they played. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, this past weekend they played DC and it was soggy and damp and raining. When they first played DC, it was a, a rainstorm and the field was coming apart. They played Seattle. The wind was gusting at 40, 50 miles an hour. Like, they've had some pretty bad weather luck. But that kind of leads me to want to know what what Matt's fixing to say with with what the forecast is supposed to be at Cashman. We're looking clear. uh, 20% chance of participation. Uh, Should be good. A 20% (laughs) chance of participation is probably about what you're going to get out of the team. I'm glad you caught that because I was (laughs) waiting. (laughs) Depends on how much they're drinking that night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm (laughs) – I would – if I had to bet one of the two between the 7.5 spread and the over-under of 42, I'd probably bet over on 42. Just because Orlando showed that they can score more than 13 points by scoring 16 last week. And, you know, six or eight of those were completely on accident, I think. Vegas has shown that they can score in the 20s against against pretty much whoever whoever they play. They would have scored in the 20s if this uh, touchdown hadn't been called back before halftime uh, for a 10-second runoff against D.C., who is one of the better defenses in the league. So... I would probably bet the over on 42 with a with a chance to push, but that's about the only way that I would touch this game. Before we move on, I want to just note the injuries. Hunley is full practice as of today, so that's good to know. Now, Martavius Bryant did not practice today. Yeah, and so- he was sitting out for for towards the end of the game last uh, last weekend as well. Personally, I feel like it'll be a good one. Hopefully, some team has an identity, and that's all I can hope for. I'm really trying to stay positive. Anything else before we move forward, fellas? I think uh, that's just the whole vibe of Orlando and Vegas right now. So just just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. We should have saved this for last. This should have been the last conversation of the week. <laughs> it really should have been. <laughs> all I'm saying is I'm taking Vegas, and I'm taking the over, because I predict the final score to be about 28 to 18. I like it. I, I like it, point. Tommy. All right, guys, let's work into the Arlington Renegades at San Antonio Brahmas. That game is Sunday, March 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern. It is on ESPN2. That one should be a good one. Um, Both of these teams need a win. It's crucial for their fan bases. Guys, what do you think? Eh, I don't think San Antonio is as desperate for a win as as you would think in terms of their, their fan base. I mean, before this weekend, they were carrying the league as far as attendance goes, and they're getting ready to have a slate of home games uh, here at the end of the season. So I think San Antonio is still going to show up and support the, the Brahmas because they've shown that they can be competitive whether or not they're winning. Uh, this has all the makings of a 9-6 or 12-9 game. Uh, there's just no real identifiable offense on either side right now. San Antonio is having really big problems on the deep, on the offensive line, which is not a good 
not a good recipe for going up against Arlington's defense. Uh, Arlington has wanted posters all over their city looking for the man named offense. And that's not a good thing when you're going up against San Antonio. So it's we're talking slap fight here, guys. Uh, I definitely see where you're coming from. Where Arlington and San Antonio both could use this win because right now Arlington is coming off of a loss, and San Antonio is also coming off of the second loss straight. So if both of these teams realistically need to win this game to stay in contention for playoffs. Arlington needs to win this game to get a nice little league on San Antonio to keep their second place in the south so they can move to 3-2. and two. And then they'd have a nice little two-game lead on San Antonio, but if San Antonio can find a way to come back and beat Renegades and not let Arlington's defense do anything to score or to make turnovers, then they can move to two and three, and it would be looking a lot more competitive down in the XFL South. I really think um, when it comes to this matchup, if anyone's really desperate for a win, it's Arlington, because someone has to be second when it comes to whatever imaginary title is going to be for the best team in the state of Texas, which I think we've came up with five, six different names for that thing, and I don't think there was an actual an official name. I don't think there's ever going to be an official name, but somebody's going to be going to win, but I think it's important to uh, evaluate whether either of these ter- teams have... Uh, learned from their mistakes that they've made in the four weeks that they've had so far. Uh, I think something that's important is, are they taking the time to evaluate the tape, uh, to point out those mistakes, and then learn not to make those mistakes again? Uh, otherwise, they're, just, they're both gonna, are gradually going to continue to set themselves up for failure uh, to uh, not help their case for the remainder of this season. Personally, I think this matchup's probably going to be more boring than the first season of Power Slap on TBS. Sorry, they got canceled from TBS. <laughs> so I, I really think that this, uh, to me, at least in my opinion which is weird from a guy that's originally from Texas and loves football. I really think this matchup is probably going to be the most boring one of them all this week. And there's, there's one potentially interesting twist. Uh, Heinz Ward has taken the play calling away from Jaime Alessandro and moved it to, who was it again? Uh, moved it to uh, Jimmy Johnson. So Jimmy Johnson is now the offensive coordinator in San Antonio. Uh, we don't know what the play calling is going to look like for him. You can you can bet that the offense is the same. They're not changing anything midseason. But one thing that may change at quarterback is there's wi- or one thing that may change is at quarterback. There's whispers that uh, somebody else could be starting 
in place of Jack Cohn. There's not been any whispers of who it is, but there's really only two options. It's either Jawan Pass or Reed Sennett. I would imagine with the way that their offensive line is playing, it's going to be whichever one of those two guys can run the best uh, and create time for himself the best. Um, so it'll be a little bit interesting to see how the play calling changes. I would imagine they're going to be run heavy. They're going to run. They're going to use those big tight ends that they drafted and stay in power sets and run to set up the pass. Uh, and to me, that screams that it's going to be lower scoring. It's going to be a slowed down game because we know that Arlington's not going to be passing the ball worth a dang anyway. So, so the one thing I am curious about, are we talking about like the Jimmy Johnson or just some other uh, schmoke uh, named Jimmy Johnson? It's not uh, the Jimmy yeah, Johnson. Different, different schmoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not going to see any Lowe's advertisements in the, in the, in the media booth. That would be. No, I'm not. Ta- I'm, not I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not talking NASCAR Jimmy Johnson. I'm talking about NFL Jimmy Johnson. I believe uh-huh. you got the right one. If you're Either way, well, as a as a as a reformed and recovering Cowboys fan, nobody remembers Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> I'm not it's even going to say so anything now. <laughs> <laughs> it was so long ago. You guys mentioned that uh, the this Renegades game probably isn't going to be the most entertaining. And some people might hate me for this, but honestly, I haven't enjoyed watching a Renegades game in, since week one when they played the Vipers. That's a fair take. I mean, I feel like unless you're a fan, it, it, watching is hard. Um, Their defense really entertains us. If it wasn't for that, it would be they would be right there with Orlando and Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. After last week, I don't think we can call them a defensive team either. No, not really. No, no. It, so here's the so here's the spread and the over under on this game. So the spread is two and a half points. San Antonio are the favorites. The hmm. over under is thirty five and a half. Wow. So you're talking lowest of the week, right? Yep. Yeah, you're talking 20 to 15 being the under. So one team in the mid-teens, the other team in the mid-20s, and that's a that's a overhit. I don't even see it going that far. I can see <laughs> one team going the teens and one team getting maybe two nine to eight. Yeah, so I wouldn't call the toilet. I wouldn't make a choice on the spread for the toilet bowl because it's just too wacky. This game, I I would hammer the under, and there's no way I would touch the spread at all. I would probably agree. I probably wouldn't touch the spread on that all at all. Um, as far as the uh, over under. I, I kind of agree with uh, Tommy that it's, or I think it was probably you too, uh, that it could potentially be a, you know, something within or under that, uh, over under, I think, was it 35 and a half or something like that? 
Was that what that was? Yeah, Drew? 35 and a half. You're right. 35 and a half. I definitely think it would have to be relatively close or just barely over. So, I mean, that's the one is like, if you're going to bet on it, bet low on either end. And that way, you know, you're, um, you're somewhat leveraging it and then not losing too much if it does go over or it goes under. Um, I mean, I mean, the only thing that I could potentially see is, yeah, San Antonio might get a couple, uh, maybe, maybe even just one touchdown, possibly, you know, they're going to go with the Romo that doesn't suck with his, (laughs) his foot to uh, kick some of those field goals. So, I mean... I mean, that's the probably if the offense can't get it done, the hope's gonna be on uh, uh, John Romo. Oh, he's got it. He's kicked the longest official field goal in the XFL history. Yep, I think it was fifty-seven yards. If that was yeah, it was correct. fifty-seven yards, and he actually, uh, neat fact, he actually owns the longest field goal in Lumen Field history. So nobody in the NFL has kicked one longer than he's kicked. Yeah, I didn't appreciate seeing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think a good prop bet on this game would be who scores on defense first. Agreed. Yeah, I think really there's not much else to touch on. This is going to, I don't know, I think it's going to be a slap fight, but we'll see. Kicker is going to score more points than offense and defense. (laughs) That's going to be my bold take. (laughs) I hope we see some Will Hill and some of that defense on Arlington, because if not, it's going to be hard to get through this one. Guys, you got anything else to share before we move on? Don't believe so. Before we move on, I want to go over this one more time. The Houston Roughnecks at Seattle Sea Dragons. That game is Thursday, March 16th at 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m. Eastern Central on ESPN. Not ESPN2, ESPN. All right, Drew, let's slide into our power rankings. Drew's going to give us his hot take on the power rankings and basically tell us why. So, Drew, what you got, man? Yeah, so people are going to be a little bit upset with me, I think, in the way I have this ordered, but there's there's a little bit of method to the madness here. So Houston stays up top. I don't think that's really debatable so far. Uh, this week will tell a lot. The next two weeks will really tell a lot because Houston plays uh, both D.C. and St. Louis over the next two weeks after after this weekend. But for now, it's Houston at one, D.C. at two, and St. Louis at three. And then I have Seattle at number four. And last week, they were pretty low in my rankings, but seattle they're coming along with their offense they're getting better and better each week it seems like their defense is still a question mark but no more of a question mark than anybody else that's left on my list so uh, seattle slides in at number four uh, just because of the momentum they have vegas 
is going to be at number five. And this is the part that's going to probably get me ripped apart by some people. Uh, I really don't care, honestly. Rip me apart. Go ahead. Uh, but <laughs> the the reasoning behind it is Vegas has shown that they can score. They've shown that they can score and they have an average defense. So that's already better than anything that Arlington can say. It's better than anything that Orlando can say. And it's better than all except for one game that San Antonio has put together. Uh, Vegas and San Antonio are really close in my mind right now. Uh, Both of them have offensive line problems. But uh, Vegas is in a little bit better shape, I think, uh, especially after how close that first half was in D.C. And the fact that it killed their momentum, I would have really liked to see how the game ended if had they scored that touchdown uh, going into half. Uh, but alas, it was called back, and Vegas sits at number five in my rankings. San Antonio comes in next just because they're slightly worse off than Vegas is in the offensive line department. I do think San Antonio has a better than average defense, but without without much offensive support and with Coach Ward making offensive changes potentially wholesale, uh, San Antonio comes in at number six. Number seven is Arlington. Uh, again, with the wanted posters, they're probably upping the the reward for finding that man named offense uh, in Arlington, and then Orlando comes in last. So just to recap, it is Houston at one, DC at two, St. Louis at three, Seattle four, Vegas five, San Antonio six, Arlington seven, and Orlando bringing up the rear at eight. I think all those are agreeable. Uh, When you first told me about the controversy, I was a little worried, but I I attest to what you're saying and agree 100%, especially with Hundley for Vegas. I think that he's a big Big key portion for the team. Yeah, I mean, if Hundley can get healthy, uh, Vegas really has nowhere to go but up. And and even with uh, Luis Perez, he played pretty good this past weekend. I mean, he he was a little bit of a spark for them after Hundley came off. And I like I said, I think Hundley came off because he's nursing an injury. He just told Coach uh, Woodson, "Hey, I, it's probably better that I don't do this." Uh, you know, did the admirable thing. I think. And Perez came in and took advantage and, and you know, credit to him, did a good job. But they've got nowhere to go but up on the offense, and Huntley just gives them an extra dimension, I think. So so what you said absolutely is spot on. I uh, I understand where you're coming at from with the power rankings because <clears throat> the Vipers have momentum, but I'm a pro wrestling fan before I was a uh, football fan. And in wrestling, you move up the power rankings by winning, not just by your p- potential. So I feel like you should have maybe kept Vipers in six after the total ball and see if they could actually secure a victory because, you know, almost almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And last time I checked, we were on the <laughs> football field. Yep, no, I totally understand that. I think the way that I make my power rankings isn't, you know, traditional by any means. I I really sit there and while I'm watching the games, I evaluate these teams and see what they're good at, what they're not good at, where they need help, and how that stacks up against the needs and weaknesses of other teams. And for me, Arlington is not a good matchup for just about anybody in the league not named Orlando. Uh, And I think they showed that with that 
ten to nine slap fight win that they had a uh, week before last. Uh, you know, they're I think Arlington and Orlando are objectively the worst two teams in the league. Uh, Vegas is worse than Seattle. Are they better or worse than San, San Antonio? I don't really know. I lean more towards Vegas because Vegas can score more points than San Antonio. So uh, that's why I have that laid out the way that it is. But, I mean, it's going to play out the way that it plays out. It's it's just more more from an evaluatory standpoint. Evaluatory. I'm making up words now. An evaluative standpoint uh, than it is simple wins or losses. I think my my viewpoint probably wouldn't have been too uh, too far apart from yours. I definitely agree on the one through far part. I think the way I probably would have had, uh, at least if, if I was the one doing the power rankings, it definitely would have been somewhat relatively close to what the mat, uh, matchups in uh, this uh, upcoming week. Uh, so definitely I probably would have had... Uh, if I can remember correctly, I'd probably would have had, at least in my view, uh, Arlington, San Antonio, Vegas, Orlando, and then whoever wins, obviously, could potentially go up to five and six. Uh, so, I mean, that's just how I would view it. I mean, you're, I mean, at least how I view the uh, worst part of the, uh, League obviously the worst are definitely Orlando and Vegas, and someone has to win in this toilet bowl matchup. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know we're we're ragging on them both, and rightfully so. But something's got to give uh, in in this scenario. I mean, either way, even if one team wins this weekend, you're still looking at two of the worst teams in the league. My uh, final thoughts on the power ranking, too. When you said uh, Arlington probably can't win against anybody except Orlando right now, they actually beat the Vipers week, week one. So, a little head-to-head right there. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, but I understand completely where you come from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still... We're not halfway through, y'all. I think after this weekend, we'll have a little more... Uh, of a definition of each team, but after this week, we'll be five weeks through the season, which is halfway through our regular season. We're going to know every team very well within this week and the next. Um, I was just going to say, I just realized that this, this week is actually pretty high state. I mean, you're finding out who the best of the worst is. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Jesse Dice from week one. But uh, he and I had a, a, a gentleman's disagreement about uh, what happens on the field when Houston is playing to this point. And uh, he seems to think that uh, Houston is going to lose, either lose to Seattle outright or win a very close game of less than five points uh, to the point that he hit me up in my DMs and offered me a gentleman's wager since we were having a gentleman's disagreement. And uh, basically this is what's going to happen. If Houston wins by five or more points against Seattle in Seattle late at night, uh, then 
Jesse gets to do the Ice Bucket Challenge and do a public release on YouTube and the Ambush Sports Network channels on Twitter and Facebook. However, if Houston loses or if Houston wins by less than five points, that honor will be mine. And I will be doing the public release of a Ice Bucket video challenge. So pretty high stakes here at Ambush amongst the sports riders. And uh, pretty high stakes to see who's going to be stuck cleaning out the toilet and who's going to be what is in the toilet remaining after this week. When can we expect this challenge to be completed by either party? I can't speak for Jesse Dice. However, I can speak for myself. Uh, Since the game is late on Thursday, I won't be doing it on Thursday night. But you can expect probably a Friday evening or Saturday morning release. We will post it everywhere. So just be watching whether it's Drew's socials, Jake's mine, or even Tommy's, you you will be able to find it if you want. Um, Sounds like a good little wager, Drew. Are you nervous? Not at all. Probably should be, but I'm not. <laughs> we'll try to get Jesse on next week and, and try to get some, some takes about what he thinks about everything also. I hope he's cold when he's on. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys, before we move on to the Ambush Sports Players of the Week? I made a uh, personal bet with myself. If somehow Seattle does win, I'm going to be taking off my hoodie and my t-shirt and just going bare-chested because I saw my belly's not as heavy as all the bellies I saw at women last week. But, <laughs> you know, after you get a few drinks in you, it hypes you up. And, you know, I saw uh, some kids across the field and... It made me happy. They they couldn't be more than 12 years old. They had their t-shirts off. They were spinning them above their heads. And, you know, I wanted to join the hype. But the dragons have to uh, take me to that point. Pictures or it didn't happen, oh. sir. We want to yeah. see the pictures. <laughs> oh, you'll get a video, man. <laughs> yes, sir. I love it. It's going to be cold there, right? What's the tip looking like, Tommy? Thursday. I think it was supposed to be about like 45 degrees, so that's fantastic because the first home game was 30 degrees with a wind chills of 21. So I swear to God, I uh, bought my garlic fries and I went to go sit down and they were colder than my beer was. Yeah, you might want to Vaseline those nipples, my friend, if you're going to be shirtless because the wind tunnel is going to be rolling through there. I'll make sure to get plenty of drinks in me. Sponsored by Teramana. <laughs> Sponsored by Teramana. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's move on to the AmbushSports.net Players of the Week. Every week, the Ambush staff <clears throat> votes on two players, offensive, defense. Uh, usually, we vote on Mondays. We get it through fast, and uh, it, we do it where no one knows who the players are. We just see their stats. This week, we, our two players are Luke Barku for the San Antonio Brahmas and Brandon Silvers of the Houston Roughnecks. Guys, do you want to take it away on these two fellas and just give us a little take on it? 
you know it's a random when I voted for the defensive player of the week to be a Bahama. Yeah, I mean, he had a good week, but there was a lot of other hot names on the list. Luke had six tackles, one sack, one tackle for a loss, and one interception. That was against the Sea Dragons. Yeah, and I felt passionately about every one of those stats during the game. And I think that, you know, the way things are set up with the vote now, I think the fact that... uh, our choices are essentially blind. It's no longer by name anymore. It's based on the statistics uh, that for that player for that week. Uh, so it's nice. It's kind of uh, gives you an element of mystique on uh, who that person actually is without having to go on Google and find it yourself. Yeah, it, it really helped a lot. I'm I'm a little biased in my decision, so if I see the Houston Roughnecks, I'm most likely clicking that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it much better myself. Um, yeah, I gave I gave Barku the vote just because of the breadth of on on the game. Uh, it was a close game. He shut down Josh Gordon for most of the game. Most of the snaps that he had against Gordon, he ended up actually winning. He had a pick. Uh, he came up and run support. I mean, he really did everything that you're expected to do from the cornerback position and more uh, against Seattle. Fortunate for him and really for San Antonio that they they came away the losers in that matchup. Uh, that defense really played their tails off, uh, keeping keeping Seattle to uh, 15 points. Yeah, I feel like he's going to be a key piece in their defense moving forward, which we knew that. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, we'll see what happens next week with him. But it, we good to move on to to Brandon? Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Got my boy. With him. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Brandon Silver's uh, <laughs> offensive player of the week. I've been waiting for him for a couple weeks now. He had 239 yards of passing with three touchdowns. Uh not sure on his picks this week. Any, does anybody have that in front of him? I can he had, up he didn't throw a pick this week. So pick free. Yeah, that's that's what's up. That's what we needed. Uh, <laughs> right now he's topping the XFL in passing. Um, he's got a completion rate of 88%. He's got 135 attempts with 962 yards thrown with 10 touchdowns and three interceptions. That's according to XFLNewsHub.com. Did you say he was number one? No, he's number two. Oh, okay. Nucci is number one. Has really the past two weeks kind of cleaned up his act as far as uh, as far as bad bad interceptions go. The first two weeks were pretty worrying. Uh, He had two bad ones against Orlando. He had a couple of uh, bad ones against Arlington as well. And then uh, against San Antonio, he, he played a, a pretty solid game. Houston just got really conservative. His numbers weren't all that great. Uh, had a great first half, but the second half he didn't play too well. And then this past week, he just seemed flawless. He wasn't asked to do a whole, whole lot. But this guy, uh, this guy really settled in. A, a defense that was hapless to to stop him really. So 
a lot of good offensive performances this week. Shout out to John Trey Kirkland. Uh, he was responsible for a touchdown reception and a touchdown pass on the first uh, XFL for, uh, double forward pass play uh, this year. So uh, highlights on YouTube and everything probably will will stay there for the highlights of the season. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, all around, really, it was Houston and, and St. Louis that had the best offensive performances, and the nominees showed it. Brandon Silver's just won out. Yeah, everything you said, I couldn't agree with more. It's, you know, it just looked too easy for him, and you got good coaches, a good team, and you just basically just have to make sure the ball leaves your hand straight and land in the receiver's hand. And I think uh, I can't wait for next week because I think only prediction for two contenders for offensive player of the week might be between Silvers and Danucci. So I think yep. that's going to be really fun. And uh, just to get out, this out of the way, my only prediction for somebody to be on defensive play of the week, look out for Beasley after this game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Beasley's about to have a field day. guys i think that wraps it up for the players of the week as well as the podcast in whole um we got anything else game wise news wise player wise we want to review before we sign off nope i just appreciate you guys having me on and i had a great time talking some football and talking some xfl and i'm looking forward to this week and thursday in general Thank you for coming on, Tommy. I appreciate it. Tommy is a member of the Ambush staff. You may see him again, like some of the others that have been on this week. I mean, this season. Um, we look forward to having as many people as we can to get on here and hear their their knowledge or their opinions. So thanks for coming, Tommy. Appreciate it. You're more than welcome to come back. As we close out, let's go ahead and everybody tell us your socials, um, where the people can find you, and we will start with Tommy. So go ahead, Tommy. So my uh, socials, I think I mainly only use Facebook. So I'm at Tommy Jones on Facebook. And I also do some video game streaming sometimes if you want to follow me there. Maybe your kids can't watch, but the gamer tag is Nips for Lunch if you want to come and check that out. And then I'll... Uh, I'm going to try my best to weekly start posting about dragons and you might catch me on the pro wrestling side of ambush. I'm Drew Wells. Uh, I want to say thanks to Tommy as well. Tommy, you definitely brought a presence to the, to the podcast today, uh, brought some really good takes, some really good information. Uh, my name on Twitter is at Ambush Sports H-O-U for Houston. So at Ambush Sports H-O-U. And on Facebook, the page is Houston Roughnecks Ambush Sports. 
All right. You guys can find me on Facebook, Jake Leonard. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter at uh, Jake Leonard, J-R-N. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm the associate editor of Ambush Sports. Uh, currently oversee all of the uh, St. Louis regional sports, as well as the departmental editor of uh, the pro wrestling and uh, MLS departments. Uh, always looking for people to help out in those two departments. Um, outside of Ambush, I'm the editor-in-chief of Heartland Newsfeed. Uh, you can find that at heartlandnewsfeed.com. I also run its sister radio network, uh, which you can find on uh, Spreaker, uh, Live 365, and several other platforms, uh, at, which also include your Alexa and Google Home Speaker. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for coming on. I appreciate it greatly, and the people at home do, too. As I always say, we are all um, speculators here. We're analysts, but we're just telling our opinion. So these guys are really doing us a favor, coming on and putting their necks out there to speak their expertise and knowledge. So thanks again. Um, my name is Matthew Tyler. I run the XFL Insider Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at XFL Insider POD. On YouTube at XFL Insider Podcast. And then on Facebook at the XFL Insider Podcast. Basically, just search those words and you'll find me. I want to say a big thanks to AmbushSports.net. They are huge in the success of this podcast. If it wasn't for them, this would not be around. So thank you again, guys. also want to say thank you to XFLBoard.com. They host our podcast on their website and show us off a little bit. So thank you. At Ambush Sports, you can find them on Twitter at Ambush Sports, and their website is ambushsports.net. So, thank you all. Appreciate everybody coming. This was episode five, and we'll see you next week for episode six. Bye.